0: Today, we are continuing with our new message series Selfish versus Soul Filled. Selfish versus Soul Filled. We introduced this series last Sunday. You can go back if you missed that one and catch up on the basic outline that Jesus presents for us. Uh, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Today, we are continuing with the specific sermon in this series, Love and Sex, Soul Song. Love and Sex, Soul Song. We're going to be turning to a series of scriptures, and the message today will be infused with a whole lot of scripture. So we'll be projecting these for you, or quite a few of these for you, but you can also read along in your Bible. Hear now God's word. First from... The Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And then to chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Scarcely the woman, the beloved, the the betrothed or the bride is saying she's out in, 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 in the town looking for her beloved. Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him. And would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her who conceived me. In verse 5, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And then on to... Chapter five, verse one, after her invitation, again, remember, this is like a musical, the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon is a musical, so we've had her invitation, and then uh, he is responding, chapter five, verse one. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh and my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. And then on to uh, verse 12 through 16, this is her. We're back to her now her description of him. I'm skipping a couple of verses, but she started at the top and she's moving down and ultimately um, she's gonna go to his character and his friendship. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet smelling herbs. His lips are like lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem." And then on to chapter 8, verses 6 through 10, the great crescendo. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It's flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered, in other words, in exchange for love, all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Now, back to the older brothers momentarily, looking over the course of the young girl's life and growing up into a woman. We have a little sister and she has no breast. What shall we do for our sister... On the day when she is spoken for. In other words, she's grown up. Now she's betrothed. She's got a a boyfriend who's becoming her betrothed. If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, in other words, that swings open, we will enclose her with boards or planks of cedar. Now she responds. On the day of her wedding, I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers, and then I became in his eyes as one who finds peace, shalom. Then on to First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. You'll know this is our key um, scripture for the Wednesday night Bible study this past week on sex in the context of holiness or sanctification. Uh, more there if you want the resourcing on that and the Bible study of that more extensively. But, but here now, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. For this is the will of God. What is the will of God for me? This is the will of God. Your sanctification, your holiness—where there can be translated either way, hagiosmos, sanctification, holiness—that is, okay. What is holiness? Well, here it is: that you abstain from sexual immorality. In the Greek, it's porneas, wide range of sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel sky instrument vessel the esv more broadly says how to control his own body and that's nice but we're talking here very graphically paul is how to control his own vessel in holiness in sanctification and honor not in passion of longing or lust like the gentiles who do not know god not to transgress or take advantage of his brother, brother or sister in the action. Because the Lord is avenging concerning all this, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but has called us into holiness sanctification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Love and sex soul song. This is old news now. This is back in 2015. Remember the good old days of our kind of much more controlled 2015, (laughs) almost seven years ago, but even seven years ago, even seven years ago, a major Barna study revealed that when Teens, teenagers, and young adults, that's ages like 19 through 24, 25, when they were asked, this is seven years ago, to rank what was immoral or bad, a failure to recycle, and a significant consumption of electricity, both of those things were viewed as being much more bad and dangerous than engaging in pornography. That's what our culture, that's what our system, that's what our educational <laughs> programs have taught, what would be called now millennials, but now increasingly for us, in front of us, uh, Gen I or Gen Z, I call it Gen I. You know, the iPhone, the, the smartphone generation, the generation that has grown up in a world that is impossible to consider, not having the digital connections that we do, the social media that we do. Uh, Just a couple months ago, in early December of 2021, at the JFK Middle School in Enfield, Connecticut, uh, recently produced curriculum that was provided by uh, the school district there, was distributed by the health educators in the middle school there at JFK Middle School. Now you understand, we don't call what used to be called sex education, sex education, because parents pay attention when you talk about sex education. We're talking about health, diversity, and wellness now. So in the health, diversity, and wellness class, um, for the eighth graders there, eighth graders were asked to share their preferred sex acts by analogy to a pizza and pizza toppings. Uh, We can start off, I can tell you that cheese is mere kissing, but when we get into the toppings, I probably should not repeat from the pulpit some of the items that were pizza toppings for the middle schoolers to discuss about what they enjoyed about sex acts. That's in the eighth grade. That's two months ago in a middle school. We live, wake up reality folks, we live in a hyper-sexualized porn- saturated culture this is the world in which we live and uh, in the digital age you can see it even if you're not looking for it because it's clickbait almost any search you might make now and if you make certain kinds of searches in certain directions you'll get a lot of this clickbait of uh, sex public intimacy and let me allow you in over here on this secret gets clicks. That's the way the internet works. That's the way social media works. That's the way the now accepted pornography of our age works. And I'm not just talking about sex porn. I'm talking about all the pornography that pulls us in. So let's go back to how God makes us and what it means to go in God's direction. In other words, not the selfish direction, but the soul-filled, not an empty soul, a soul-filled direction. Remember that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, we are told that God creates us in his image. And it's not just that general. God creates us male and female in his image. And and that creating us, God calls us, God called humanity, God called male and female in his image to be fruitful and to multiply. As we mentioned last week, when we turn over to the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 7, God forms the man, And breathes in him the breath of life. And the man becomes a living soul. Nefeshkayah. He's a living soul. You, so put this all together, you are an embodied soul. You're not floating out here somewhere. You are an embodied soul. And because you are an embodied soul, the gifts of how God has made you male or female, and God is very specific about this, male or female, God has made you for potentially purposes and calling and gift and covenant. These are good things. Sex is not something God is afraid of. God is the author, let me God is the author of sex. God is the author of human beings made male and female in his image. And if you're following along in the notes, you can see I have a few of these points highlighted here. Uh, And you can track these and go home and study these and just reflect on these. The loving union of a man and a woman. Which union includes? It's not limited to. I mean, there are higher levels of union, right? Spiritual union. But it includes sex, one flesh, literally one flesh, and procreation. These are gifts of God. They're from God, specifically for covenant union, marriage. One man, one woman. And communion with God in the midst of that, at the center of that. It, it, who's at the middle of the marriage? Who's at the center of the marriage? It's God. God who is the one who can unite the husband and the wife together. But now let's fall back and remember how sin works. Sin, first of all, exalts... God's gifts into idols. Let me repeat that. Instead of worshiping the giver, we in our sin try to hold on to and worship the gift. By the way, your marriage or your spouse can become your idol if you're worshiping her or him and following her or him or serving her or him in front of God. Okay. But the gifts are exalted into idols, but soon, this is the way this goes, and this is the way selfishness goes. We start here, and we move further out here, because sin, after first exalting the created thing into a god, then turns it into a consumable item, a commodity, and we buy and sell and manipulate and pervert the gift That's the way sin generally works. What can I control? What can I hoard? What can I manipulate? What can I get on the cheap? What's the latest deal on that which I have said is most important to me? So in the midst of this, we are exalting ourselves. Come on, take. It'll be great for you to know good and evil. You'll be in charge. You'll be like God knock god off the throne i'm in charge my idols are in charge this is who i am as a self these become our gods but very soon we as consumers and as sinful consumers debase what we supposedly love that's the way it always works you're on the road to hell before you ever arrive at hell now love and sex here's the concept with love and sex give your soul, sacrifice your soul, to finding and fulfilling my sexual longings. Did you hear that? If I can just find and fulfill and live in my sexuality, that's the source for my soul. I open my mouth to that instead of to God. Remember how... The the nefesh is an open throat to God and the spirit of God. Well, no, no, no. I'm going to go for my sex and my sexuality. And that's who I really am myself. And Jesus is saying, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul in this? And then we selfishly increasingly sacrifice our own selves. If we have a family, our own family, our friendships, our life on the altar of this idolatry. There are people who are actually heterosexual in institutionalized marriages who are doing exactly this right now. There are churches where this happens. I've mentioned before to you a couple of different times and I'll mention again today to you one of the more important books of the last couple of years is Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And in this book, Truman talks about how uh, Sigmund Freud in the early 20th century, provided the West a compelling myth. And the myth is the idea that sex, in terms of sexual desire and sexual fulfillment, is the real key to our human existence and what it means to be a fulfilled human being. He says, the sexual revolution and its various manifestations in modern society cannot be treated in isolation, but must rather be interpreted as the specific and perhaps most obvious social manifestations of a much deeper and wider revolution in the understanding of what it means to be a self. While sex may be presented today as little more than a recreational activity, sexuality is presented as that which lies at the very heart of what it means to be an authentic person. So then you have this paradox of how sex on the one hand is exalted as a personal religion and self-fulfillment, but on the other hand is cheapened. And it doesn't matter what you're doing with whom you do it with or with what you do it with, just do it. Nearly 2000 years before Carl Truman is writing about this and I'm talking about this, God spoke through the apostle Paul In the opening chapter of Romans, just picking up a little of this discussion, listen to this from Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because, in other words, this is people out in general. This is not Jewish people, this is general humanity. Anybody who lives in the created world of the creator. Because God has shown it to them, to everybody, every single person on earth, for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, cavemen could see this, in the, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, verse 24, therefore, God gave them up to the lust or to the longings of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So we come to this reality that romantic love and sex can be blessed, spiritual, communion with God and fulfilling God's purposes, or it can be the most defiling of all sins. Back to 1 Thessalonians 4. God's will is for our sanctification. If you're a Christian, God's will is for you to be holy and a key part of that is for you to be holy in the way you conduct your body. Because remember, you are an embodied soul. And what you do with your that soul, your instrument, is key to who your God really is. <laughs> and it's key to moving in the direction of having your soul filled by God instead of opening your mouth to what Initially seems like a nice, pretty idol and increasingly becomes slime. Each of you needs to know how to possess his own vessel in holiness, in sanctification and honor. And then verse six, and I mentioned this in the study Wednesday night really hit me as far as the way God's word here is speaking to a lot of perversity and wrongdoing in the church. in in the institutional church, by priests, by pastors, by other leaders. Today, we're gonna be ordaining and installing leaders, and even by just sisters and brothers out in the pew, but people manipulating and abusing their positions or their words or their leverage or their power. Hear God's word here. Not to transgress and take advantage of his brother, or in other words, his brother and sister. This is what happens in the church Not just people in the highest power, but even people in other relationships in the church, transgressing and taking advantage, manipulating for sexual immorality, the brother or the sister. In the action, and listen to this, because the Lord is avenging concerning all this. Okay, Christian, hear that. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. He, he, he's paying attention. I mean, it overwhelms us some of the ridiculously bad things that happen. But know this, the Lord is avenging concerning all this. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, Paul's talking to these Thessalonians because <laughs> they're, they're saying, oh, when's Jesus gonna come again? And what about the people who die? And Paul's saying, look, before I get to those discussions, let me remind you, A lot of you are living outside of the sexual boundaries of what it means basically to be a christian and so let's talk about that first before we get to the other discussions about what happens when people die for god has not called us for impurity but into holiness into sanctification yes every single sin every every single rebellion against god makes you guilty of the whole law yes absolutely but there are different sins and different implications. And so 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Your vessel is united with Christ and you're gonna join it outside of marriage, even with a prostitute in this case, never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined with the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee. Verse 18. If you do not get anything else from this sermon, take this away. And I'll come back to it in a few moments in the application. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And remember, we're talking about embodied soul here. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now we have an embodied soul who is a temple in whom the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God lives. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Your body is not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So big picture again, selfish versus soul-filled, including and definitely an application with romance and sex. Consumers, are you going to be a consumer? People consume it all the time with all kinds of stuff. I want to shop for a church. Are you kidding? That's the way it is a Christian talks about shopping for a church? (laughs) Didn't meet my needs. Really? Are you a Christian or not? Consumers are covenant family in Christ, death or life. The division here is clear from God's word. So now, Moving on. Love and sex soul song. The song of songs, which is Solomon's. Number one, application. Joyfully sing and live the song above all songs. This is the song above all songs. Did you hear that? Shir Hasharim. Shir Hasharim. The song of songs. Just like, okay, the holy of holies. Like in the entire temple complex, you really get close in, really holy when you get to the holy place. But what's the most holy of all in the holy place? What's it called? The holy of holies. Is that just any old place that's holy? No, no, no. That's the most holy place where we actually, where God's presence actually is. This is the same kind of language. It's the same kind of idiom. Uh, When we call Jesus the king of kings, does that just mean, well, he's a king? What's the big deal? No, it means he's the supreme over and above and blows all the other kings away. Did you hear that? Jesus is the king of kings, Lord of lords. This scripture is just telling us right here in the middle of God's word that the song above all songs we ought to be singing is the love song. Is the love song. Shir Hasharim, the song of songs. Asher Lishlomo, which is of Solomon. I don't know that Solomon wrote this. I know it was dedicated to him or somehow belongs to him. A guy who had 700 wives and 300 concubines maybe is not the guy who actually, like, lived this out. But go with the song, not with Solomon. Uh, joyfully sing and live the song above all songs. Set me—you know if you've ever come to any weddings I've ever done. This is like this verse is going to be in here, right? These verses are going to be in here. This, I, I can imagine a Christian wedding. I don't know. You know, its I love— 1 Corinthians 13, general message about love in the church and such. But, I mean, this is like the song of songs. God God is specifically telling us this. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Its jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. Did you hear that? The very flame of the Lord. So, spiritually, yes, we're talking about The bridegroom for the bride, the Lord for his church. I'll come back to that at the end, but let's go into some of the the message here. When you're talking about all this message, I'm just going to scratch the surface a little bit here. Um, All these images and symbols, you have to read this, folks. By the way, if you're a married couple and you haven't read the Song of Songs lately, that's my assignment to you for this week. Song of songs. But, but you gotta understand it, it's not that complicated to understand in this poetry, in this love poetry, in this song of songs. Like for instance, when you're talking about his and her garden, fruit, spices, come on, wake up people. You are talking about, of course, literal garden and that's a beautiful setting for you know, love songs and a musical, right? But you are also talking about bodies and sexuality. You don't have to have a degree to figure this one out now. Bodies, sexuality, her garden, come into my garden, partake of the fruit of my garden. And we're talking about fruitful marriage. Ultimately, though, this is like all of Scripture. It's taking us to look back to Eden and the Garden of Eden where we were one with God and communed with God and to the paradise that is to come with Christ, and the garden there, and our communion with him. It's speaking at all those levels. As Doug O'Donnell says, this is erotic, and erotic is not bad. We tend to turn erotic in our sin and idolatry into pornography and obscenity. Erotic's not bad. Erotic poetry is set within the ethical boundaries of the marriage bed. So sing it, live it. God gives it to you as the song of songs in the right context, which gets us to number two. Body and soul follow his keys to abstain, or as Paul puts it, for some of us, this is what we need to do. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't think you're so strong you can overcome it. Flee from it. And possess your own vessel in holiness and honor. Okay, so several notes here. You see them in your, uh, I have it outlined for you in the sermon notes. Number one, uh, right timing, right partner, right context. Marriage, covenant. Our culture and our sinful inclination is like, whenever I want to, whatever I feel like, with whomever, whatever I want to use as I consume and control my self-fulfillment. No, 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 no. Right timing, right partner, right context. The ongoing refrain, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. It pleases whom? God. Number two, um, in the midst of this, I know I'm on number two, but just a second one here. Restraint. Notice this. I've already introduced the garden imagery to you, so you you can't miss this one, right? As the man says, a garden locked is my sister. Did Did you hear that? A garden locked is my sister. My bride, a spring... Okay, this is flat out sexuality language here. You should be able to get this. A spring that is locked, a fountain, flat out sexual imagery there, sealed. A fountain sealed. Song of Songs 412. And then she comes back, of course, as we've already seen and says, I was a wall. In other words, till I got married, I was a wall. I wasn't an open swinging door. I was a wall sexually. Um, also, uh, so we looked at right timing, right partner, right context, marriage, restraint, otherwise outside of marriage, and right relationship for love relationship, which is faith family, understanding her as my sister, understanding him as my brother, and faith friendship. He's my friend. He's my friend. This really helps, I think, with the restraint. Understanding, and this is even when we're married, right? Understanding my wife is my sister in the Lord. Understanding a husband is the brother in the Lord and also friend. Friend. This is what he says in the song. My sister, my bride. Did you hear that? She's his sister in the faith. And therefore, he acknowledges that, and that, interestingly, changes the way he views her with respect to romance and sex. She, in uh, chapter 5, verse 16, this is my beloved, after going through his entire body, exalting this, right, she says, this is my friend. Friendship at the center. And then she, of course, wants to take him to her mother. That doesn't sound like an R-rated movie to me, does it to Do you? <laughs> Do you want to take, take him to her mother? And when she says, I want to go into the chamber of her who conceived me, she's saying, I want him directed towards marriage and be fruitful and multiply in marriage, right? That's the way I want him to understand our relationship. It's a covenant relationship. Interestingly, too, this coma, um, this word for the wall thing, it's actually... Like, it's totally right next door. It's basically, this, it's the same letters as com, which means father-in-law, a bride's father-in-law, which is fascinating to me. The wall is like, you know, you got all these family relationships infusing all this Hebrew poetry going on. And then also, this one's really important, folks. After right relationship, understanding, repentance and realistic addressing of threats. A lot of couples do not deal with this, either leading up to marriage or after marriage, because you got to know them both, but definitely in preparation. When she sends him away in chapter 2, you know, he's ready for sex, and she sends him away. One of the things, she, she gives him an assignment, and she says this. Chapter 2, verse 15. I have to explain this. This will maybe help you when you read through it. Catch the foxes, or the jackals. You can translate that either way. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. Is she worried about like a literal vineyard? No, she's talking about their love relationship, their marriage, and whether they're going to be a truly fruitful marriage. And whether she's talking about ex-girlfriends or bad friends or other influences, she's saying you have to so that we can have a safe and fruitful vineyard. Look, we don't need to have sex right now. We'll do that when we're married. Right now, you go out and catch the little foxes that could ruin our vineyard. Got it? Married couples, engaged couples, pay attention. If there's stuff out there that can get into the vineyard, you need to deal with it. And then three, enjoy the soul song as you worship and enjoy the composer. This is all supposed to ultimately point us to the Lord. Um. It's a great thing to enjoy. You know, she says, let my beloved come into his garden and eat its choicest fruit. I've already told you what that's about. But he, his response is, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride, I gathered my myrrh, my honeycomb with honey. I drank my wine. Eat, drink. It's good because it's a gift from God. And then finally, 8, 6 and 7 and 8, 10 again, set me as a seal upon your heart. This should be a prayer for even a celibate single person before the Lord, to Jesus. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. It's jealousy, it's fierce as the grave. It's flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. You wanna know what took Jesus here? It's that love. Ask him to put that love as a seal on you forever and you'll be saved in him forever, okay? Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Just like Jesus is saying, why do you search after the wealth of the world and forfeit your soul? Are you crazy? And then her final statement that I wanna highlight today. I was a wall. My breasts were like towers, in other words, I did not violate the covenant until marriage, but then I became in his eyes as one who finds Shalom. In his eyes, that's where I find my peace. Now this is talking about her groom, but ultimately Christian, regardless of what your personal situation is, the Lord is calling you to find your peace in his eyes. He loves your soul. Come to him now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.